0: Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right. Okay. Weeping for a nation. Uh, This is lesson number 20 and we're in Jeremiah chapter 40 today, so if you want to start making your way there and finding that. Before we jump in, we've got got a a lot of great scripture to look at that's just some amazing stories. But before we get there, I was hoping we could just have a quick honest talk this morning. Can we have an honest talk? All right. Here's my question for you. Are you the kind of person who learns from the stupidity of others or do you have to be stupid yourself to, to learn your lesson? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there seems to be only two kind of people in the world. So, <laughs> matter of fact, I was thinking maybe which is the best thing is just go around the room here and uh, share the stupid things you've done. And, uh, or maybe your spouse could share up for you the stupid things you've done, yeah. I don't know, one of my, f- this is probably why one of uh, my favorite TV shows as a family, we really like this, is uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. We really enjoy that. It's all about people who had to learn the hard way, it seems like. But, uh, but today, I want to talk about learning the hard way, because you would think, we're talking about Judah here, we're talking about God's people, and Jeremiah, speaking to them for 40 years, preaching to them, and the last week we talked about the fall of Jerusalem, God's judgment on Judah, finally coming to, uh, to, to pass. But you would think after all this time and all that's happened in Israel and the northern tribes and then Judah and the southern tribes, God allowing all of them to be taken captive and now Jerusalem being completely burned to the ground, I mean just obliterated. You would think that somewhere along the way these folks would have learned that it's stupid to disobey God. It's just stupid. Uh, But they are human beings after all. And let's be real here this morning, if we as humans are stuck in a pattern of sin and consequences, sin and consequences, sin and consequences, then typically it's because we've not gotten desperate enough to completely surrender all of that to the Lord. We we talk about Jesus changing everything in our life, but that requires us to give him every part of our life and then doing what he says each and every day. Lord, I give this all to you. I've been holding on to this. I'm desperate now, and I give it over to you, and now I need to do what you say each and every day, practically speaking. In other words, Jesus has to be Lord and not just Savior. But there are three big enemies that you and I have that are trying to trying everything they can to stop us from surrendering to the Lord and obeying God each and every day. Our three big enemies, the devil, our own flesh, and the world. Those are the three big enemies that that the world, or the believers, fight every single day. And today in Jeremiah, we're going to see clear examples of two of these, the flesh and the world. We're going to see great danger, and there is a great, great danger in our tendency as human beings to do two things. One, to underestimate the power of the flesh. And then number two, to overestimate the goodness of the world. We underestimate the power of the flesh and we overestimate the goodness of the world. In other words, we think, I can overcome the flesh. Those desires that I have, those passions that are inside of me, that were born inside of me uh, as the son of Adam, I can, I can overcome those anytime I want to. It's, it's no big deal. That's underestimating the flesh. Or we think, if I go after happiness the world's way, uh, like everybody else I see, it'll, it'll be a great life. It'll be a good life. I'll enjoy myself. That's overestimating how good the world is. And as usual, God uses Jeremiah here as a voice of truth in a world that's lost its way. And uh, his journey, you know, Jeremiah's journey of disappointment and weeping along the way for these people is not over, unfortunately, even after this time of judgment. We're now in the aftermath of destruction. And this is a, uh, out of all the things we've already talked about and people dying and the judgment of God coming and how it's grieved Jeremiah, I got to tell you, what we're about to look at is, to me, maybe even more grieving. Uh, His journey's not over. So, aftermath of destruction. We saw in chapter tw- uh, 39 how Jerusalem was completely destroyed, burnt to the ground. The temple, the walls, I mean, the houses, everything. It is just in complete rubble. But We also saw in the middle of that how Jeremiah was miraculously snatched out and set free. God knows where his people are and where his children are. And he knows uh, when, it, when judgment day comes, he knows who, who are his he knows you if you put your trust in the Lord. And so what a great example that was. But chapter 40 that we're going to look at now gives us the details of how that actually went down. Okay? So we're going to look at that. We're going to try to get through several of these chapters. And we're going to, uh, but you're going to see some uh, amazing stories emerge. Here we go. Verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, the ga- captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah. When he had taken him, being bound in chains, among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. So here's the thing. In all the chaotic aftermath of Jerusalem being burned, people killed, Jeremiah, he is grabbed, just, you know, just all the chaos and everything going on. Jeremiah is grabbed, he's put into chains, and he's hauled off with everybody else to Ramah, just a little north of Jerusalem, on their way toward Babylon but then the captain realizes, wait a second, this is Jeremiah, and the king Nebuchadnezzar had told me to make sure we don't uh, chain him up. Matter of fact, set him free. So he comes to talk to Jeremiah, verse two, and the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, the Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye, that is you all, have sinned (laughs) against the Lord. This, remember, this is a Babylonian Gentile captain speaking. Y'all have sinned, and your God has brought this on you, on. And, have, and you have not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. <laughs> Don't you love it when the unbelievers preach to the believers? <laughs> this, is, this happens uh, more than we like to admit. This Gentile general de- telling Jeremiah he knows why God let this happen, because you did not obey God. Even the heathens know how Christians are supposed to act. Isn't that right? Don't get caught up in the idea that we're supposed to be like the world to reach the world. That is a horrible idea. They expect us to be different. And they respect that. They expect it and they respect it. Verse 4. And now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. If it seem good unto thee to come with me into Babylon, come on. And I will look well unto thee. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me to Babylon, forbear. Behold, all the land is before thee. Whither it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, thither go. So he says you're free to go. Listen, wherever you want to go, to Babylon, stay here in the land, it's up to you, Jeremiah. You're a free man. Jeremiah was thinking about it here, and so the captain comes back and adds some more. Jeremiah might have been taking a little time to consider his choices. Verse 5, look what he says. Now while he was not yet gone back, he said... Uh, so this is now him coming back to Jeremiah, go back also to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people, or go wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. So the captain of the guard gave him victuals, that is, a rations of food, and a reward, and let him go. So the captain suggests to Jeremiah, hey, listen, why don't you go back to Judah? with Gedalia. Now Gedalia, this is an important figure here, he is a Jew who has been placed over Judah now as the governor, not king. Nebuchadnezzar did that a couple times and there was always rebellions. And so he said, nope, no more kings for you guys. This is just gonna be a governor uh, and I'm still gonna have my thumb on this guy. Not only did this uh, captain let Jeremiah go and say, listen, go back to Gedalia there but he gives him food and money for the journey. How sweet that is. Notice how God is taking care of his faithful servant in the middle of the war. And he's having an unbeliever do it. He's, ha- he's providing God's or uh, his pers- people's needs from an unbeliever. Reminds me of this. When I was, as I was studying this, I thought I couldn't help but think of Joel and Laurianne uh, in the middle of Ukraine, in the middle of a war, and guess what? God's taken care of them. God sees them. God knows where they are in the middle of all that chaos, and God always takes care of his people. You might have heard this story. There was a widow, precious lady, loved the Lord. She lived next door to an atheist, and they would argue about the existence of God every time they would see each other, and one day, this woman was in dire need of some groceries. She just, she needed food, so she was praying out loud, Lord, would you give me uh, my needs, would you provide food for me? Well, the atheist here noticed her need and her situation and saw his chance to prove that there is no God. So he went to the store, he bought some groceries, he secretly put them on the front step, her front step, and then he went and hid in the bushes and wait to see her reaction. She came out the door, saw the groceries there, and boy, she started to have a praise and hallelujah fit. Thank you, Lord, you provided these groceries, God, you did it. And uh, just then he jumped out and said, aha, I told you so. There is no God, he didn't give you those groceries, I bought those groceries, not God. To which she replied, you don't seem to understand, do you? God gave me these groceries, and he used the devil to pay for it. (laughs) Uh, Let me just tell you this. God will do things like that. He will. He will take care of his people, and he'll use the devil to pay for it. Verse 6, then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. Now when all the captains of the forces which were in the fields, even they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam governor in the land and had committed unto him men and women and children and of the poor of the land and of them that are carried away captive to Babylon. Then they came to Gedaliah, to Mizpah, even Ishmael. Listen to these names now. Even Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, the son of Jonathan, the sons of Korea, and Sar- uh, Saraiah, the son of Tanhumath and the sons of Epha, I'll get through it, Netophathite and Jezaniah, the son of Maacathite, they and their men. Whew. So here's the power structure here. Let me just explain this real quick. Gedaliah is governor. and What you have here now are five captains of the forces. Uh, as there, there are, or you could maybe call them warlords or militia leaders. So there's five captains, and the, each one of them have their own militia. The first two that are named here, Ishmael and Johanan, those two are the important ones to remember as we go through the story. And we're going to talk more on them later. So you have Gedaliah, and you have five captains, and this is kind of the power structure now in Judah. And Gedalia, verse 9, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, swear unto them and to their men, saying, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans, or the ba- Babylonians. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, behold, I will dwell at Mizpah to serve the Chaldeans, which will come unto us. But ye, gather ye wine, and summer fruits, and oil, and put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that ye have taken. So Gedalia, which I'll settle here in Mizpah, which is near Jerusalem, but I can't dwell in Jerusalem because it's in complete shambles. There's no way to live in there. So I'll stay in Mizpah and I'll be the liaison between us and Babylon. You guys go out, spread out, live peaceably, start farming, make a, make a living, and uh, get in these cities, let's, let's do this thing. Let's get back to, to where we should be. Verse 11, likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonites and in Edom and that were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that he had said over them, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Even all the Jews returned out of all places whither they were driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedalia unto Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. In other words, once things were a bit more structured and at peace, all the Jews from the outlying areas that had fled during uh, the Babylonian invasion, they start coming back as well. And everything seems to be settling down and everything's feeling good Everybody's starting to get the feel of like life might have some return of normalcy. But just when you think everything's fine, you get a reminder that God's people can never let their guard down. And this is an important lesson for us as believers. Verse 13, moreover, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all, of the, all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedalia to Mizpah and said unto him, Dost thou certainly know that Baalis, the king of the Ammonites, hath sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to slay thee? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, believed them not. So here, here's what's going on. Remember, we have Gedaliah. Then you have the, these five captains. Two of the captains, Ishmael and Johanan. Captain Johanan comes and with the three other captains, they come and tell Governor Gedaliah that the captain Ishmael has made an alliance with the Ammonites, and he's planning on assassinating you, Gedalia. There's a plan in motion to kill you. But Gedalia says here didn't believe him. No, come on. <laughs> come on, you're being ishmaelphobic. That's not true. All is good in the neighborhood here, okay? Peace, peace, all is good. Hakuna Matata, coexist, coexist. They're not going to kill me. They're not gonna, he's not going to kill me, come on. Verse fifteen. Then Johanan the son of Kareah spake to Gedaliah in Mizpah secretly, saying, "Let me go, I pray thee. This is Johanan, the captain. Let me go, I pray thee, and I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no man shall know it. Wherefore, sh- wherefore should he slay thee, that all the Jews which are gathered unto thee should be scattered, and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah the son of Ahikam said unto Johanan the son of Kareah, Thou shalt not do this thing." For thou speakest falsely of Ishmael. For whatever reason here, Gedaliah just could not imagine that Ishmael was this bad of a guy. He was convinced that Ishmael would not kill him. Now, real quick, the name Ishmael, that's an interesting name for a Jew. As many of you know, it was the name of the other son of Abraham. And it's not an acceptable name among Jews. It's possible that he may have changed his name, this man here, to Ishmael. But one thing we do know is that he aligned himself with the Ammonites, the enemy of God's people is what it said in verse 14 there. So he had already aligned himself with the enemy of God's people. Now remember this, Paul in the New Testament used Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in Galatians chapter four as a picture of the flesh, of our flesh. And some would see a very spiritual lesson in this story as well. Gedalia is underestimating Ishmael. He won't kill me. He's not out to get me. Don't worry. Just like we underestimate the flesh. And when it comes to our flesh, Jesus said to deal with it seriously and severely. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. In other words... It's worth going all in on this to make sure that sinful desires don't take hold of your life. Because we all have these sinful desires and they want to come out and it's worth doing all that we can to make sure that this doesn't happen. God tells us that the flesh is out to assassinate us. It can assassinate your testimony, your closeness to Christ, your effectiveness as a spouse, your effectiveness as a parent, your love for others, uh, your, your witness, your witness. Et cetera, et cetera, But sometimes, as you know, we are our own worst enemies. We think things like, come on, a little bit of sin won't kill me. Half a poison pill won't kill me. It's okay, it's not that big a deal. The flesh, I can handle it. But we all know stories of Christians who have been caught in scandal because of the flesh. You let a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time, and imperceptibly over time, you're... You're so far in the flesh, you don't re- realize it. The Bible says to take your flesh seriously. And I think this is a great lesson on this. Gedalia wouldn't take Ishmael seriously, and that was his downfall. Chapter 41, now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishema, the seed of the seed royal, Ishmael, see, he had a royal line. I think he thought he should be in charge. And the princes of the king, even ten men with him, came to, unto Gedaliah the son of Ahikam to Mizpah. And there they did eat bread together in Mizpah. This is how the flesh works. Start with an in, innocent little delicious dinner, a little bread. Let's break bread. It's not that big a deal. Verse two, Then arose Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shephan, with the sword, and slew him, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even with Gedaliah at Mizpah and the Chaldeans that were found there, and the men of war. This man is a terrorist, Ishmael. As some the buzzword these days, he's a thug. He slaughters all of them. The only motivation that we can think of is jealousy here. The passage may suggest this, but he felt like he should be in charge. But Ishmael's not done with his senseless evil. Look at this, verse four. And it came to pass the second day, after he had slain Gedalia, and no man knew it, that there came certain from Shechem and from Shiloh and from Samaria, even four score men, that's 80 men, having their beards shaven, their clothes rent, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. So probably having heard about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, a group of these 80 men came to mourn the whole situation and bring offerings at this broken down house of God. Verse six, and Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went forth from Mizpah to meet them. This is Ishmael now, this wicked man. He comes out to meet them weeping all along as he went. And it came to pass as he met them, he said unto them, come to Gedalia, the son of Ahikam." He's out there with fake tears, invites them to come meet Gedalia. Verse seven, and it was so when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, slew them and cast them into the midst of the pit. He and the men that were with him. What was this for? (laughs) Why is he killing these guys? Who knows? He's just an evil, violent man, just like our flesh. (laughs) Why does it do what it does? Who knows? It's just wicked and vile, and it wants to do what it wants to do. It's senseless, but he allowed some to live here for selfish reasons. The next verses tell us, verse 8, But ten men were found among them, those eighty, that said unto Ishmael, Slay us not, for we have treasures in the field of wheat and barley and of oil and honey. So he forbear and slew them not among their brethren. Now the pit wherein Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedalia, was it which Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel, and Ishmael the son of Nethaniah filled it with them that were slain. He takes all the dead, he throws them into this mass grave inside probably an old cistern that had uh, been King Asa's and the one that he had built many years prior. And after killing everyone, now Ishmael, he kills all of his people that he, for whatever reason, wants to kill, gets them out of the way, and he goes to the people now. Verse 10, Then Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that were in Mizpah, even the king's daughters and all the people that remained in Mizpah, whom Nebzeradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Hikam. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. But when Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done. Then they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and found him by the great waters that are in Gibeon. Johanan, Captain Johanan, he gets the other captains together with all their militias, and they go and fight against, go to fight against Ishmael. Verse 13, now it came to pass when all the people which were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, then they were glad. Yes, here he comes. So all the people that Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah cast about and returned and went unto Johanan, the son of Korea. All the people that are with Ishmael kind of begrudgingly following him by force, they see Johanan coming, their saviors, and they say, we, they cast him about and say, forget you, buddy. Here they come. We're with them. Get lost. Verse 15, but Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. Then took Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, and all the remnant of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah from Mizpah. After that, he had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, even mighty men of war, and the women, and the children, and the eunuchs whom he had brought again from Gibeon. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is by Bethlehem, to go to enter into Egypt, because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. I know there's a lot of names. I know there's a lot of stuff, but but here's what's going on. Johanan gathers everybody, and he says, "Listen, everybody, instead of staying here, we just had this situation." with Ishmael and we just had to deal with all that, him killing people and all this going on. So instead of staying here in the land why, and risk fighting other enemies, let's go to Egypt. Now why Egypt? Because at the time they were allies with Egypt and therefore they figured if we go down to Egypt, our allies, there's gonna be safety there and it's an established land, there's plenty of infrastructure, so there's plenty of food in Egypt so there's safety and there's food in Egypt, let's go there. But remember, in the Bible, Egypt is a picture of the world. And all of its sinful philosophies and practices that oppose God, that's the world that you and I live in. It's, we live in a, in a form of Egypt. Remember Moses' experience, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25? It says about Moses, choosing rather, this is what Moses had to choose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Egypt was a place of sin, and Moses had to make the choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to live in the world and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, temporary pleasures though they will be, or am I going to go with the people of God and suffer at times? And besides, when you're considering about going back to Egypt, folks, (laughs) Jews, didn't you already deal with the, don't you have a history with Egypt, kind of, sort of? Isn't it ironic that God's people are looking again to Egypt for food and safety? Johanan and the people are now overestimating the goodness of Egypt. It's going to be good there. Let's just go there. They've underestimated the flesh, and now they're overestimating the world. Well, Johanan and the people, they're unsure, though, a little bit, enough about doing this. So they stop. They kind of get everybody together, start the journey is what it uh, implies here. They say, but you know what? Before we go, we ought to pray about this. <laughs> oh, good thought. So we need a holy guy to pray for us. Who should we ask? Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 1, then all the captains of the forces and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least, even unto the greatest, came near, and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, let we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left, but few of many, as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord may show, show us the way Wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. What a great pr- prayer request. Show us the way where we should walk and the thing we should do. What if we, what if we actually prayed that seriously every day? Lord, show me the way I should walk today and the thing I should do and the things I should do today. Uh, how would our day look differently? How would our reactions to circumstances be different? How would would you treat people differently if we were asking, Lord, tell me how to walk and the thing I should do today? But let me just say this. If we pray like this, we have to be ready to do whatever God says. Verse four, then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. then, Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Such zeal, such good intentions these people whether it be good or evil, we will obey it no matter what God says. We promise, Jeremiah, you just tell us what he says. But these are very strong words. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> we will do anything God tells us to do. Have you ever said that to the Lord? <laughs> will you really do whatever God says and whatever God asks you to do? Prayer is more than just words, everybody. Prayer is more than just words. Verse seven, and it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. 10 days. I wonder what everybody was doing in those 10 days. They'd already kind of gotten ready to go to Egypt. Were they really just sitting there waiting? All right, whatever, whatever Jeremiah says, whatever he comes back with, we're gonna do it. Or were they already just packing their bags, you know, getting everything ready for Egypt? Remember, again, they were already on their way. And I think that's where their heads were. Were they talking or Were they talking with each other? Hey, it's going to be nice in Egypt. It's going to be nice over in Egypt. This stuff here is horrible. But uh, it's going to be good once he comes back, tells us we should go to Egypt. I, th- I personally think they had their minds made up. We do this too often. Verse 8, Then called he, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest. And, he, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him. If ye will still abide in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show show mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. So Jeremiah gathers everybody. It says even from the little to the greatest, meaning children all the way to the oldest. He gathers all of everybody. Come on, everybody. I'll give you the answer. Here's your word from the Lord. Stay. Stay in the land of Judah and God will build you and God will plant you. You'll be protected. You'll be cared for. You'll be given blessings. Just obey and stay. God God, God says, I've turned from judgment now to mercy. I'm no longer going to tear down. I'm going to build up. I'm I'm not going to tear down. I'm going to rebuild. All you really want and all you really need will be given to you by God. You just have to trust him on this. Just trust him. Living in obedience to God is the better choice. There may be trials, but it will be better in the end. Living in obedience to God is always the better choice. As that great song says, the cross before me, the world behind me. And this is what God's telling them, listen, get Egypt behind you and get stay here, stay here. Jeremiah reminds them what would happen if they chose though to disobey God. Verse 13, here it is. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord or your God, saying, No! <laughs> but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of trumpet, nor have hunger of bread. And, and there will you dwell. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine... Whereof you are afraid, shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. So it shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go into Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured forth upon you when ye shall enter into Egypt and ye shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach and ye shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. How many times has he said this here? Know certainly that I have admonished you this day for ye dissembled or vacillated in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God saying pray for us unto the Lord our God and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. And now I have this day declared it to you, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for the which he hath sent me unto you. (laughs) Jeremiah talking from the heart. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence in the place whereof ye desire to go and to sojourn. Can you imagine the hush on the crowd when Jeremiah finished this word from the Lord? (laughs) He's staring at them right in their face, crickets in the room. All these faces just staring at Jeremiah. I could just imagine their faces turning sour. That is not what we expected you to say, Jeremiah. We want to go to Egypt. They were not expecting this word from the Lord, they really thought Egypt was the better plan. And you can tell in the last part of what Jeremiah says here that he knew that these people had already made up their minds. He goes from if you do this to now, I know you're already planning this and this is the wrong choice. But inwardly, I'm sure as Jeremiah the prophet, he was probably thinking, please turn around, do it this time. Come on, do it this time. Do it this time. Like a parent hoping their child would just make the right choice. But let's see how this ends real quick. Verse or Chapter 43, And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God for which the Lord their God had sent to them, even all these words, Then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. Unbelievable. You're lying, Jeremiah. They just said, like a bunch of spoiled kids here. Aren't, aren't these the same people that were just saying, we will obey whatever God says, Jeremiah? What, I mean, way, we don't care what he says. We're gonna do it. You're lying. <laughs> You're lying, Jeremiah. God did not say that. Man, that is so classic. I see this in myself. Do you see it in yourself sometimes? We sometimes go to church or go to prayer with the Lord, and on the surface, we're willing to obey God. But then the pastor preaches a message that goes against what we think the Bible should say. <laughs> or we read something that sounds countercultural and goes against our desires. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says. No, 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 no. But it's very easy to start justifying ourselves. And look at how God describes them proud men. That's what these people were, they were proud men never expected that God might tell them to do something that they didn't want to do. Not thy will, but mine be done, O Lord. Their favorite song was, Have mine own way, Lord, have mine own way. As one commentator put it, it never occurred to them that God's plans might be different from theirs. They were only willing to follow God if he was going in their direction. Or another, all along they had regarded God not as a power or as a power to enlist and rather than a lord to obey. And they still cannot believe that his will can be radically different from their own. These people wanted Egypt. They wanted the world. And nothing was going to stop them. They overestimated the world's wealth and health and happiness. They thought it would bring everything that they wanted, but God was saying, obey me. And then you'll find what you've wanted all along. It's backwards. If the judgment on Jerusalem teaches us anything is that we should trust the word of the Lord. And maybe you need to hear this today. You're sitting in here or you're listening to me right now. If you're thinking about following your flesh or following the world, what have they done for anyone? Stop going down that road. It's a sure disaster. The wisest people learn from the stupidity of others. Speaking of stupid... Let's read this real fast as we close. Verse three, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, they're still speaking to Jeremiah here. They say, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us, for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us unto death and carry us away captives into Babylon. I'm sure it wasn't you, Jeremiah. It's your assistant, Baruch. We know he's always been super pro-Babylon, so he probably is the one who told you (laughs) to say this. Man, I could just imagine Baruch right now. I probably wanted to rip these people's heads off. Verse four, so Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. But Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were w- returned from all the nations whither they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even men and women and children and the king's daughters and every person that Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard had left with Gedaliah the son of Hikam, the son of Shaphan and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus came they even to Tappanese. Amazing here, not even the destruction of Jerusalem and the loss of family and friends seem to get through to these people. Sometimes we as humans are so entrenched in our sins that we just simply will not listen to the word of God. And we often will take our whole family down with us it's a sad thing in this human heart and this human condition. It makes my heart grieve and weep just like I know Jeremiah must have been doing. Notice that Jeremiah was hauled off to, to Egypt with them against his will. And once they got to Egypt, he gives another object lesson. We, can't, we don't have time to go into it in the rest of this chapter here. Another object lesson prophecy that's very interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, they've found some uh, archeological finds that uh, substantiate this next passage, you can look at it later. But these people, they thought they'd be safe in Israel, or in Egypt, excuse me, but they weren't. Three practical warnings as I come to a close. Number one, be aware of the battle with the world and our flesh. No one is immune to this battle. No one is immune. We fight against the world, we fight against our own flesh. And then number two, watch out for slipping imperceptibly into disobedience. It's very easy to put our opinion and our view of the world above what God says. Very easy. And sometimes it's just so slight because the world is so much around us and invading us every day. Be very careful. And then number three, stay true to God's word as the people around you turn toward Egypt. Jeremiah was in the world, but he was not of the world. He was there, but he clung tightly to the Word of God. That's how we ought to be. Lord, today as we come to you, we thank you, Lord, for this. Amazing... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.